0: Happy February 21st, 2020, everybody. Welcome to the Sidebar Happy Weekend. Man, I hope you made it. It has just been a crazy month. We're just going from news crisis to news crisis to news crisis, but we're gonna have a Trump-free Friday, and I've decided instead today we are gonna focus on women and the incredible accomplishments that so many women are doing. We're starting out with Allison Reed, uh, out director uh, of a film that's premiering tonight in Los Angeles called The Woman Who Loves Giraffes. We'll be hearing all about that about how uh, biologist Ann Innes Dag became the, the first uh, female biologist out there living in the wilds of Africa, studying giraffes that later you know, that preceded Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey. And then after that, uh, we'll be heading into a conversation with women who are running uh, something called Camp Widow. It started out for widows and widowers who lost a partner spouse, husband or wife, and they've now decided to expand and do LGBT people and so uh, they have their big event coming up next weekend uh, called Camp Widow and then finally I've been looking forward to this for about six weeks Jason we been talking about this for a long time. What is it? Yes, yes, we got three women clergy coming oh, that's in. that's right. To talk about the three major faiths, Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Kolomi, uh the Reverend Denise Barnes from the United Methodist Church. It's gonna be good. And Ani Zonaveld from uh, Pro- Muslims for Progressive Values. An all-out religious war is gonna... <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And we're, no, we're not gonna have any religious wars <laughs> like, in exactly. studio. <laughs> not, not today. <laughs> All right, gang, so with that, we're gonna launch in... Uh, uh, we, we're actually very uh, gifted today to have in studio with us, uh, straight from Canada, uh, the director of the Woman Who Loves Giraffes, Allison Reed, and her executive producer, uh, Paul Zimick. Is that correct? Yeah. We had a song for. I had to bring in with Toto. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If you had a dollar for every time you heard that song, right? <laughs> Welcome, Allison. Welcome, Paul. Thank, Thank you, you yeah. so much. So, tell us about your film and what's happening tonight.
1: Well, we're really exciting. As you said, it's uh, premiering here tonight at the Lamely Theatres, four theatres in the LA area, and it's also screening across the USA. So uh, we've been just blown away by the response to Anne's story. As you say, not many people know about her. They know about Fosse, they know about Goodall, but but Anne was the first person to person not not only woman huh. but the first scientist in the world to study an african animal in the wild i mean she went to south africa by herself
0: right 1956 right yeah, she was only
1: 23 years old oh and she gosh. just loved these animals yeah. and, uh, and i
0: loved I saw, I saw part of the film and i saw the part where they were assuming she was a man because she decided to disguise her identity because she was getting pushback they didn't want a woman in a primarily male-dominated environment
1: exactly but she pushed through yeah, she yeah. started signing her letters with her initials, so people automatically assumed she was a yeah, she, she was a man, and yep. then she started getting positive responses.
0: So She, <laughs> <laughs> she came out. Yeah, oh, yeah, surprise, <laughs> <laughs> XX, not XY. Uh, so she uh, she was like, I think one as you said, the first biologist to get out there. I, mean, I think as kids speaking for myself the african animals i have often just just the mythology the lore the elephant the hippopotamus the giraffe you know the zebra are just these animals that seem so exotic and so unique that we can't uh, imagine even touching feeling and she went to study them
1: exactly Long- i know the megafauna is mind-blowing when you're there in africa seeing them in the wild it's it's
0: wait have you been to africa
1: Oh, Absolutely, oh my we God. shot in okay. Africa. Okay, we're coming
0: back. <laughs> Can, when we coming back, we'll be talking more to Allison about her film and, of course, about biologist Ann in his dag here on Channel Q.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test, intelligence data, fixed median download speeds, USQ3 2023.
3: When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply.
0: I know, Allison, and Paul, you have no idea who that is or what that is. It's playing. <laughs> that is a Los Angeles artist, Carlos Santana, African samba. Yeah, yeah. Just I don't know. Ah, I, I nice found touch. it. I decided to do a little nice touch, touch, a little yeah. L.A. and a little Africa sure. at the same time. Gang, we are talking to Allison Reed, who is the director of The Woman Who Loves Drafts, her executive producer, Paul Simic, here in studio. And right before the break, we were talking about how radical, revolutionary it was for a woman to be involved in biology, I guess, much less a naturalist, much less going out in the middle of the African Plains in the 1950s, yes?
1: Yes, in the heart of apartheid.
0: Yeah. And this and this movie isn't about giraffes. The giraffes are just the framework for the story, right?
1: That's right. It's it's really a hybrid. I mean, Anne is in love with giraffes, so that's, that's sort of, the, the story's about her following her passion to study them and doing this groundbreaking work with them. But the story ends up being more about her... Um, Her plight, her personal plight, which was uh, that she came back to North America, had done this groundbreaking work, envisioned herself as a university professor, continuing her giraffe work and teaching, and she just came up against a brick wall. She was, uh, gender discrimination just really crushed her career. Mm. They would not give her tenure, despite the fact that she was so accomplished, you know, that she had these groundbreaking uh, work and articles in scientific journals, an excellent teaching record. You know, and they just they just wouldn't uh, give her tenure. Hmm.
0: Is that what gave uh, caught your interest about this story? What what, what was it that snagged your interest? Because obviously, as a writer and a director, something caught your imagination.
1: Absolutely, just her singular passion and that she would stop at nothing to follow it. I mean, her course changed um, because of what I just described. And then she became, a you know, an activist for women's rights because she couldn't follow her, her real dream. But the nice thing about her story is, you know, there's sort of a searching for Sugarman aspect to it because she had a, a hiatus from the giraffe world for decades. Mm. And she thought that, no one knew about her and that she'd be, been forgotten, but she had written this textbook that was the most influential book and the only book for a very long time written about giraffes. Mm. So these two women in California, actually, um, rediscovered her decades later. You know, giraffes uh, are an endangered species. Not many people are aware of I that. I wasn't
0: aware of that.
1: Yeah. So they they were looking for an icon in the giraffe world and thought of Anne and wasn't sure if she was alive. or. Or what happened to her they were just they just knew that she had written this book so they looked her up and rediscovered her and re her into the the giraffe world so um so it's it's an inspiring story and a happy story
0: it, it is you know here in southern california whenever we get a major quake everybody turns on the news to watch who dr lucy jones because lucy jones is the preeminent Earthquakeologist, if there's such a thing, seismologist. She is like the expert on earthquakes, and so the whole notion of a woman being a top scientist isn't as radical as maybe it was back in the 1950s. But exactly. I'm guessing there's still lots of lots of room for improvement.
1: My, Absolutely, yes. My, my, <laughs> is
0: my guess is my guess. I, I think that um, historically, little girls are discouraged from studying science. Like, they're told English, reading, literature, but science and math, that's a little boy thing.
1: Yeah, women in STEM. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's up and coming, and people see Anne as, an, as a real inspiration. I mean, the nice thing about her family and her mother growing up is it didn't enter Anne's mind that she couldn't do this.
0: Mm, you know? She just persisted. It yeah.
1: just didn't occur to her. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's just the attitude she's gone through life with.
0: Yeah, that that is so – is she still alive?
1: Yes. She's still alive. She's still alive. In fact, she and I just got back about a week ago from Kenya, and she had her 87th birthday there. That is extraordinary. she's traveling a lot with us with the film. And I tell you what, when Anne's in the audience, people get up on their feet and give her a standing ovation every time and they're just so excited to meet her. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. I bet. Yeah, You know, I'm even watching the film because there's in your movie there's a lot of 16 millimeter clips but you can tell we're taken at a different time by the way in which people are dressed and the way that the places, environments they find themselves in and it's so interesting to see that juxtaposed up to where we are now where we have two viable candidates running for president of the United States who are women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a, a treasure trove to work with. So when Anne was in South Africa in 1956, the, she, someone gave her a 16 millimeter bolex camera. So she filmed giraffes and someone filmed her actually doing her giraffe work and traveling around in her little car that she named Camelo, uh, studying giraffes. So. Um, when when I went back to Af- South Africa with her, um, I was able to film her in those exact same spots. So we see her, you know, as a 23-year-old and as a, an 80-something-year-old. Um, so it was quite a quite mm. an opportunity. She also saved every letter sh- that she wrote or received. Wow. So so we have... Um, Be- before
0: there was the internet, Facebook, or tw- tweets. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about the environmental catastrophe that's going on right now? I mean, Australia is on fire. The yeah. rainforest in South America and the Amazon are being cut down for wood. Africa is being decimated. I, I yeah, mean,
1: we just got back from Africa, as I said. And, um, you know, traditionally they're experiencing drought right now. There were floods. Like uh lodges were underwater. The flooding was just crazy. Um so we're dealing with that. We all we also had locusts. Locusts were at mm. the Samburu Re- reserve like swarms and swarms of them. They haven't seen a locust there in 70 years. So wow. it's just it's just mind-blowing the crazy. And is it because,
0: things. in part, because of climate change, or are there other yeah. great forces at work?
1: Well, I, I, think, well, I, think, it's it it. I think it's yeah. us too. I think it's
0: us uh, too. I think it's our impact on the global well, environment. Yeah.
1: And who, who, who is responsible for climate change? Pro, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's so frustrating. I mean, I, I have long supported the World Wildlife Fund and other animal organizations because, I mean, who's not to love animals? But it's so sad to watch the threat to the biological diversity on the planet and, and feel so helpless about what we can do about it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I guess we all have to just um, live our lives in the best way possible and leave the least footprint we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's, it's that feeling of helplessness that that stops us from changing it. I mean, we can change it, every single one of us. I mean, look at Greta. Toonberg, what she's doing? She's I doing mean,
0: incredible yeah. stuff, going up against Trump, and he does—he's flummoxed by her. I love that he gets flummoxed by a teenage girl. I love that. I know, I know. <laughs> Supergirl—that's what I call her. She's she is amazing. Yeah,
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. The film premieres tonight here in Los Angeles, actually in four different theaters. Right? Yeah, that's
1: right. The so. Lemley theaters. So we're in uh, in Santa Monica, we're in Pasadena, Encino, and Claremont. Paul, was there another one there? Chino. I think,
2: um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little bit uh, up there. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, all those four theaters, but we're also screening across the, the whole United States. Um, uh, I think we're playing in over 70 cities across the U.S., which mm. is really exciting, and it's growing. Um, mm. Yeah, so um, we have a website called thewomanwholovesgiraffes.com. Love it. And there's a, there's a See the Film uh, tab, and, and if you click on that, you can see exactly where it's playing.
0: Mm, that sounds amazing and you've already shown in New York now you're in Los Angeles and
1: yeah it was so fun Paul we were in we were in Los Angeles and yeah uh, yeah, we got a great review in the New York Times now the LA Times so yeah it's like that you know you just um, like I was
0: saying you earn your keep as you come along with a small film like this it's not something you have a big national release on so for us to hit it big in New York and get great reviews there in, in the Times and then here in Variety it sort of brought us to Los Angeles and then from there they influenced the rest of the country these big markets so we start getting calls from Albuquerque and from you know (laughs) places in Colorado and all, all around the country and it's 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 nice to see this collective uh you know Sharing of the film on, on social media as well too. It's been great, really big help. Paul, thanks for being the executive producer. I know how important they are, so I'm glad that you're you're doing it. We have less Thank than you. a minute left, but Allison, I'm wondering. You know, I think there are a lot of young women who listen to my show who would like to make it in Hollywood someday, and maybe they're thinking that blatant sexism is a barrier for them. What what would you say in response?
1: Well, I learned from Anne. You know, she just if you've got a dream, just follow it tenaciously, and no matter what barriers you come up against or what obstacles, just keep on forging ahead because, uh, as Anne's story tells us, you know, time can change things. Even when things seem insurmountable, yeah, persist, as you say.
0: She persists. All of those dreams. <laughs> That's awesome. Alice and Paul, thank you both for coming in studio. Thank and good you. Good luck. Break up. We, as we say in the gay community, break a nail tonight at your film premiere. <laughs> hope it goes well. Gang, when we come back, we'll be talking to the women who are running Camp Widow for Widow and Widowers here on Channel Q You probably know because I told you who it is. Well, is, I, uh,
3: I've heard it before.
0: That is Enya. It's only, a great song. Only time. I love it. It's the only time about great the song. passing from life into death. Welcome back, gang. We are in studio now uh, with an event that's coming up called Camp Widow, put on by Soaring Spirits, which is an organization that's committed to uh, making sure that widows and widowers deal with their issue of grieving and loss of a long-term partner. And in studio, we've got Tammy Billick. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you, Thank you, John. John and Ne Fernandez, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you both here. Um, I guess we should start this maybe conversation by talking about, if you're okay with it, Tammy, can we talk about the loss of your, your partner? Is that okay? Yes. All right. Tell us a bit about it.
5: Well, um, my wife, Jackie, uh, and I had been together for uh, 19 and a half years when she passed, um, married for four as you know, we couldn't get married Before. for those first yeah. 15. Yep. Um, and Jackie was um, a writer, um, a mom, a funny, wonderful woman. And she was diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer in May of 2017. Mm. And she passed away in July of
0: 2018.
5: Mm. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, a terrible thing to go through. Watch the person that you love. Um, get sick and suffer. We have um, a son. He's eight now. He was seven when she died. And it's been um, a really rough road. And it's been really um, amazing to meet Michelle, who has this organization that helps people like me and um, other people in the widow and widower community um, get through this challenging experience. I mean, the grief that you feel as a widow is different than any other grief. And only people who've experienced it can really, really understand mm. what the process is like. Mm. And for me, personally, it's been really helpful to meet other people who've had similar experiences. Um, they we speak the same language. There's no judgment. There's no just get over it, which a lot of people in the widow community hear. You know, it's been six months or it's been a year. Isn't it time to move on? Well, I still cry every day. Mm, you yeah. know, I miss my person.
0: Yeah, Michelle, uh, tell us about Soaring Spirits. What, what, that's the organization that's uh, putting on Camp Widow.
5: Soaring Spirits was created to help widowed
6: people find each other. For the exact reasons that Tammy just mentioned, which is when you can meet someone else who shared this very huge life-altering experience, it's a level of understanding that you don't find in other places. So our mission is to help widowed people recreate their lives by providing these peer-based programs that will help them connect with other people, provide relevant resources that are designed just especially for widowed people, and be able to help them as they create a new life. Because I I believe that the hardest question we answer as widowed people is what am I supposed to do with myself now?
0: Mm, very true. You know, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote on death and dying and she tried to identify five stages around grief, right? And let me see if I can do them. Shock, right? Shock, uh, anger, sadness, uh, negotiations and compromise and then acceptance. Uh, and, and we had a guest on the show, D- uh, David Kessler, who wrote a book about uh, maybe there's never going to be acceptance and it's okay to not... Reach that final stage. You use any of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross's uh, philosophy? Those were
6: um, initially actually made created for people who were dying and then sort of transitioned into this sort of stages that people think of for grief. The challenge with it is just that it seems linear when it's Mm. really sort of this really tied up knot ball. Mm. So some days you're in one place, some days you're another, and you're never quite done with one. So you think, oh, I I did the anger phase already. And then six months later, you're angry again, and you start feeling like, wait, I'm doing this wrong. (laughs) So the problem with linear thinking is that it's not a linear experience. And so you can move through every one of those stages, you know, sometimes in a day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to your point of acceptance, I think it depends on how you define acceptance, Yeah. because ultimately what you have to do is accept that your life has changed Mm. and be able to rebuild. And so the acceptance is, the misconception is the acceptance is I'm okay with this person's death. That probably will never happen right right you weren't yeah. going to be able to say gosh that was all right with me right. I still want them very much to be alive but I can come to a place where I accept that my life has changed and that what I now need to do is integrate the love I have for the person who I miss terribly with the life I'm creating for myself now
0: yeah, yeah. you know I think the LGBT community we've had to experience loss and death mm. in extraordinary amounts I'm one of these gay men of a certain age I lost 104 friends mm. from 1981 to 1995 And I was working with a therapist, and she said, how do you know it's 104? And I said, well, I have a list. Every time somebody died, I put his or her name on the list. She goes, bring that list to therapy next week. I said, absolutely not. I will not. I I know what you're up to. Absolutely not. I am not bringing that list. And she goes, why not? I said, it'll crush me to feel mm-hmm. what I'm afraid of feeling about each of these people it will destroy me that was my fear it's going to like overwhelm me to such a degree I can't come back
2: mm-hmm.
0: we well ended up
5: I, I think that's right and that's
0: it's the fear as, right
5: sure but as LGBTQ people we've experienced loss in such a profound way and because of the AIDS crisis um, and one of the things that I love about what Michelle's doing is she realized there was a need for an LGBTQ-specific camp widow Mm. because we have issues that are different, really, than, Mm. I think, other grieving communities, you Mm. know, compounded by the fact that we have, over the past 30 years, lost countless numbers of friends. I I don't have 104 Mm. friends, but probably somewhere in the 40 to 50 friends. Mm. And so we carry that loss as well as our own loss of our person, our, our spouse.
0: Right. And I'm thinking, because I have not lost a spouse, but I'm thinking that's probably the ultimate. I can't even. I mean, I mean, I remember from studying in college that the three most traumatic events in a human's life, number one. Death of a spouse. Mm-hmm. It is number true. two, divorce from a spouse. <laughs> number three, moving. Now, number three, I completely get. I hate. I hate moving. Uh, uh, it, it gave... Also, can
6: we choose? Let's pick number three yeah, every know. time.
0: Let's <laughs> just pick number three. I'm going to move from West Hollywood to Temecula. That'll be the trauma there I elect go. for this I decade. Elect that one. <laughs> but the loss of the person that is closest to you, that mm-hmm. you share, and yet it's a path we all have to walk through. Mm-hmm. If we're partnered, somebody's going to go first. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
6: That's why these programs are so important, mm-hmm. is because we don't have to do it alone. Right. And so, if you can walk through that loss in community, you have an opportunity to say, okay, like this is normal, that's normal. Everything around me seems like, okay, you're doing this, somebody else is doing something completely different, I'm sort of in the middle, okay. I, I believe that I'm starting to move through in a similar way and it doesn't feel, you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm losing my mind right. for sure. It's right. never coming back. Nothing's ever going to be good again. Right. Right. And to be able to be with other people, express that and be able to hear them talk about what's changed for them. It really just, it frames the loss in a way that makes it seem possible yeah. to make it through.
0: You're me of Sally Fields' character in Steel Magnolias when she loses mm. her daughter, right? And oh she's at God. the funeral and she's, scene oh. where she just I'm angry and she's and it's yeah. like oh we all yeah. felt that and I yeah. was so moved by it. and yeah. then of course they try to slap uh, Olivia Tukakis tries to slap uh, Shirley MacLaine I just think it's funny slap whizzer or yes. whatever her name was do and something
5: it was, about this do something about it, it but there weird. are humorous moments yeah. too in our grief exactly. I mean that's what that movie yeah. showed you know that there is even when my wife was dying we would take time and laugh you know we found humor in life even mm. as it as death was coming that's
6: gallows why. humor mm. but it's
0: mm. necessary right? that's why
5: we have a,
6: a comedian coming to camp widow
0: oh i want to hear more about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay gang coming up next when we come back we we'll gonna hear more about camp widow grief and, and and loss here in the lgbt community on channel q Something from Beyond told me I had to play that song today. Perfect. I'm I'm thinking your wife was probably responsible. (laughs) She
5: would have liked that song. Thank you, John.
0: (laughs) That's Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. Tell us a bit about uh, Camp Widow, what's coming up at the LGBT Center.
5: Well, um, I'm really excited to be able to participate in in this event because um, Michelle's been putting on Camp Widows for uh, across the country and I think in Australia as Mm -hmm. well over the past number of years and really realized, you know, our community needed um, their own uh, and approached me and the L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center is sponsoring uh, and we are gathering on Saturday, next Saturday, the 29th, leap year, Friday uh, leave your Saturday and um, it's going to be an all-day event it's a Camp Widow pop-up uh, at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center and it's for LGBTQ widows and widowers of kind of all uh, ages and all uh, stages so Widows who've been widowed in the past year, widows who've been widowed twenty-five years ago—everybody mm. uh, shares that same experience. And we're going to have an all-day event. Nate Berkus, who is himself uh, a, a widow, he lost his partner in the tsunami, is going, is flying in from New York, and he's going to spend some time with us at the event and, and speak. I'm really excited he to have him. He lost his
0: partner in the tsunami in Asia. That's right. Two thousand four. That's right. Oh, what a horrible way to lose a loved one. I can't Absolutely. even imagine. Yeah,
5: But he has also gone on and rebuilt his life. He's remarried. He has kids. And he's a real example of what Camp mm-hmm. Widow stands for, you know, sh- sharing experience, strength, and hope with people who are in the midst of, of grief and, and who want to rebuild their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Michelle, what would you say to somebody who said, well, you know, I lost my partner 20 years ago and – It's probably not for me, this workshop. It's more for the recently widowed. I would Uh,
6: say, come over here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the thing about it is that the widowed experience such as every part of your life, right? So even once you've experienced it 20 years ago, 20 years later, and in particular for the um, LGBTQ community, many people were not recognized as a widowed person. They never got the opportunity to say this is, I am widowed because my partner died and now my partner or spouse died, right? So this is an opportunity to come together, bring your wisdom, bring what you've learned about the grief experience, come and share that with the other people who are going to be at camp. Um, Camp Widow, uses the broadest possible definition for the word widowed. So it doesn't matter what the status of your relationship was. Sometimes people will experience the death of a person who they had just recently broken up with, let's say, and they are suddenly still their whole world is wiped away. They still feel widowed. They have no idea where to go for help. So anybody who's experienced the death of someone they thought they were going to spend the rest of their life with is welcome to come, no matter how long it's been, no matter what the circumstances of their death any person who is struggling with the grief of someone who was their person, their person to spend their life with is welcome to come to Camp Wedo. And what they're going to find is a community of others who are experiencing that as well.
0: You know, we've got this has happened at the LA Center, but we've got yeah. people listening in 27 cities with 27 centers. Absolutely. So if, they, if they're tuning in and they're thinking, yeah. we should do this here in Seattle yeah, or we should yeah, do this absolutely. in Miami, should they visit the Soaring Spirits website? They or? absolutely
6: should. Yeah. Soaringspirits.org is the website. And then Camp Widow has its own, so it's campwidow.org. And it will give you all the information about our current locations. We have six different locations this year, So, but this one is special. This one is just for the LGBTQ community, first of its kind. We have been serving the LGBTQ community throughout our history, 11 years, 25 camps, um, but always in really small numbers. People would come, but they weren't sure they were welcome. And so we have built this small community of LGBTQ widowed people and said to them, we need to do this just for this community. And... Fortunately, um, the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center welcomed us and is co-sponsoring. So we have a beautiful campus. We have a full day of workshops. We have some fun. Like I said, we're going to have a comedian. So comedian Aiden Parks will be joining us as one of our speakers. Of course, we have Nate Berkus, who's going to share his experience of recreating his life after the death of his partner. Uh, Fernando, and we are going to end the night with some dancing and some tacos. So, I mean, you know, dancing and tacos. What else could you want? (laughs) Um, And also a community of people who get you. So please come.
0: That's so extraordinary. You know, I think for a lot of people, Heterosexual people, when somebody loses a spouse, the family and friends gather quickly around and mm-hmm. support them with love and comfort. That mm-hmm. hasn't always been the story for LGBT people. Mm-hmm. When a gay man, one time, would lose a partner to AIDS, sometimes hostile families would come in and seize assets yeah. and lock him Absolutely. out of the house Absolutely. and not even allow him to attend yep. the funeral Absolutely. or the memorial. And of course, uh, Sharon Kowalski, Karen Thompson, that story taught us also mm-hmm. you know, what happens when families intervene when they don't approve of the relationship. Yeah. So we've had that extra layer Absolutely. to have to contend with. That's
5: and we'll why. be dealing with that in in mm-hmm. in the camp. There are yes. workshops that deal specifically with the kind of issues that LGBTQ people who have lost their, their people have had to deal with that the heterosexual community might not have. Right. And, you know, a lot of us couldn't get married, right? right. You know, for a yeah. lot, most of our relationships, marriage is such a new thing for us. So just even the widow term is new to us. Um, but it's time we embrace it, because our relationships are absolutely every bit as um, valuable as anyone's. And uh, and always ne- have been. Always have yeah. Though
6: they haven't had the opportunity to have the witness and to have the recognition. So mm-hmm. that's really what this is about for us, is being able to say out loud publicly to the world, these relationships are the same as every right. other loving, partnered relationship. And these widowed people deserve a particular type of service because they have experienced a variety of traumas around their loss, some of them complicated by cultural norms and so we really want to make sure that
5: people get that opportunity. And we have people coming in from all over the country to yeah. attend this camp widow. People are flying in, people are driving in from other parts of California and we really want to invite your listeners uh, if if this is interesting to them come to us, you know, next Saturday uh, the 29th at the LGBT Center. Come
0: Check out the website, Leap Camp day. Widow. And there These we go, exactly. We'll spend Leap, Leap, day. Leap day together. <laughs> Absolutely. We only do it once every seven years. <laughs> <laughs> this is the
6: time. And you can find tickets and information on CampWidow.org. It's Camp Widow Los Angeles, so it's right drop down from the locations. You'll be able to find all the information um, and registration information as well. It's only $50 to attend, but we also offer scholarships, so we don't want anyone to not come. So if there's any reason why you can't come, please call us, and we will help you work out how we can get you there.
0: Mm. Michelle Nat Fernandez, Tammy Billick, thank you for doing the good work. Man, this is good, good work, right? We love it. And thank you for joining us. And uh, when we come back, gang, we'll be talking to three leaders of the three major faiths about women in the clergy, women in religion, here on Channel Q. Jason, thank you for finding the morning call to prayer by a woman's voice. Woo-hoo! I am so impressed, Jason, that you were able to do that. <laughs>
4: we're making progressive moves out here, John. <laughs> what we're doing. I love awesome. this, Muslim
0: Gang.
3: man. <laughs>
0: here in studio, we have got Ani Zonavell from Muslims for Progressive Values. Welcome back, Ani, good thank to you. have you here. Thanks the Reverend you. Denise Barnes, United Methodist Church in Hollywood. Hi, welcome. Welcome, welcome back, Reverend. And on the phone, we've got our my favorite rabbi, Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Kolomi. Are you there, Denise?
2: Hi, friends. How are you? Hey. <laughs> we are good. We miss you here.
0: <laughs> we are gonna have a conversation about, uh, I've had each of the three of you on the show at various times on various issues. And I was telling Jason, it would be great to have the three of you in studio at one time to talk about the fact that the Quran, the Bible, Old Testament, and the Bible, New Testament, all have Scripture, which have attempted to subjugate women into second-class permanent status, and yet, you're all women in leadership in each of the respective faiths, and what a great conversation that would be. Absolutely.
4: Get <laughs> so, ready, for Well, we're, de- <laughs> we're
2: delighted to be there and uh, have this conversation, because it's a really important conversation to have about how we dismantle the patriarchy in all of our religions which is also good for queer people
0: yeah rabbi let's start with you i'm going to start with the old testament and the quran maybe and then we'll get to the new (laughs) testament i mean a lot of this is in leviticus a lot of this is in the jewish mores about the proper role for men and women and diet and custom and tradition and and that's where we find some of these uh you know subjecting women to second class status scripture you saw them you read them it probably made absolutely no sense as you read them. So what did you think?
2: Well, it's a really good question. I think one of the issues is there's a lot of misunderstanding. Judaism is highly gendered in its roles that people play spiritually, men and women. Um, and so, uh, thankfully, uh, Reform Judaism, which I am a rabbi of that denomination of Judaism, um, and was founded based upon the idea that men and women should be equal in their religious obligations in the world. And um, so I'm the, you know, heir to that idea that rejects the notion that women cannot participate in the public practice of Judaism. Um, we are all created in God's image, and that is, at the end of the day, the bottom line for in, in Jewish thought and Jewish ideals. And if that is true, then all of us have are called and all of us are lifted up to express that in various ways. Mm.
0: Uh, Ani, I'm going to go to you next. I, I'm the least familiar with the Quran, mm-hmm. but I imagine there is probably ancient scripture in there that goes back also thousands of years about the role of women or what women should or shouldn't do. Yes?
4: Yes and no. Um, I think it's more of the interpretation uh, of the sacred text of the Qur'an rather than what the Qur'an actually um, says. It's more of the secondary text, which is hadith, which is more most misogynistic. And the hadith is basically um, medieval men that have come together 100, 200 years after Prophet Muhammad died and then compiled... What he supposedly said and did. Now, a lot of the contradictions between the Hadith, the secondary text which is not the Word of God, um, and the Quran, which is supposed to be the Word of God, there is a lot of contradiction. So there is nothing in the Quran that says that women cannot lead prayer. There's nothing in the Quran that says uh, a woman cannot take uh, leadership in politics or what have you, or in society. As a matter of fact, a lot of the women, a lot of the leaders in the early Muslim societies, especially in the first 20 to 50 years, were all women the the converts the first converts to Islam were women because it empowered them um and the slaves because it it and you know it unshackled them it liberated them so the fact that Um, we've resorted back to pre-Islamic ways um, of interpreting Islam is the problem of patriarchy and it has no basis in the Quran and so we as Muslims for Progressive Values don't call ourselves a reform Islam. We're actually going, no actually we're the real deal. We're going back to the real roots of the Quran Mm. And um, and that's how we are framing, have framed our theology and there is lots of progressive of theologians out there that have, um, from which we substantiate our positions off.
0: Mm-hmm. So, now, uh, Reverend Denise, the new I mean, I know the Christianity follows the Old and the New Testament, but really it was the Paul guy who kind of got things really twisted up. This is the guy who was called Saul, who on the road to Damascus got struck by a bolt of lightning, but had been feeding Christians to the lions at that point. So, 1,800 years after the death of Jesus, and he comes up starting to write all these letters, and I think a lot of the New Testament scripture about women, mind your place, Come up, show up in the letters of Paul, yes?
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, and those are the passages that have been used against us, not not only in terms of being women but in terms of being queer too. Mm. Um, and they've been using you know they're called the clobber passages because they used a us. Um <laughs> but but you have to remember whenever you read any of these texts, who wrote it and who they wrote it for. And when you realise that, um, I'm not denying that it's the it's the word of God, um, and inspired, you know, but written by man. But but there were women there. There were women in leadership, and some of Paul's letters were even written to women. Mm. So there were women that were doing that at the time. It's just they didn't get mentioned because it was a patriarchal society.
0: Well, in fact, the Jesus guy, one of his besties, was Mary Magdalene, who right. probably was not mm-hmm. a prostitute, mm-hmm. right? But became a prostitute in the eyes of the early church because they had to figure out a way to keep her in her proper place. She had her her own spirituality she had her own mission and in fact a lot of the the writings of mary ended up being hidden and they're now part of the gnostic gospels right exactly yes coming up next gang when we come back after commercial break we're going to dig into now all this ancient stuff and it's whether it applies in the year 2020 or not thanks for tuning in here on channel q Ms. Mahalia Jackson singing, singing Walking in Jerusalem. Everybody should walk in Jerusalem at some point in their <laughs> yeah, lives. Absolutely. I think we all absolutely. we all have. <laughs> We're on the air today, gang, with uh, Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Colomii, Judaism, Reverend Denise Barnes, United Methodist Church, Christianity, and Ani Zonaveld, Muslims for Progressive Values. Thank you all. Welcome back. Thank you. So it's 2020, and... Uh, are we at another critical spot in the reformation of the three major phases? It's happened historically. Martin Luther did it. You know, he nailed uh, his complaints on the the, ch- the church door, and obviously King Henry the wanted to get divorced, so he just broke away from the Catholic <laughs> Church completely. I mean, religion has constantly gone through schism and fraying. And is schism good, or is it necessary in order for us to evolve? Anyone want to jump in? I'm-
3: how about i jump in because the um united methodist church is going through this right now You're yes. we, we are schisming and um while i think it really probably is the only way forward it's also very very sad that our bishops are called to keep us in in unity we're called to be one in, in the body of christ and yet we can't do it and it's all over homosexuality and whether or not um we can do same gender weddings or if we can have queer clergy and we're about to go through that and and one of the biggest tragedies for me is that a church, a new church will be born from this where queer children are not welcomed and we're going to be complicit in that because we're part of the split that's going to happen. Mm.
0: Rabbi, what do you think?
3: Well, I, I think for for Judaism,
2: it's uh, a little bit different because we have a ethnicity that runs beyond just our denomination. Um, and but Reform Judaism's been at the head of this exact uh, enlightenment that we really need in the world for the 21st century and beyond, and that from ordaining women to ordaining openly LGBTQ people uh, as clergy. And, um, you know, we have a, a, don't have kind of a, a bishop system like the— church does um, so that, you know, rab- while well, rabbis uh, are teachers uh, and authorities, uh, we don't have like a super rabbi, you know, like the Pope. So uh, <laughs>
0: I love that. Super rabbi. right?
2: Super, like we don't well, have like kind one a, single authority. We have lots to of it, Denise.
0: <laughs> yeah, Denise, you're well, all of our super rabbi.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tuck my cape back in for a minute. Um, <laughs> So, you know, so it makes a big difference in Judaism um, in terms of, you know, Reform Judaism having been out there leading the way on LGBTQ um, rights and LGBTQ rights. ordaining LGBTQ people as clergy for a long time now. And uh, it's not perfect. There's always more people that need to be educated. But in terms of, you know, in our denomination at our, at our youth summer camps, you know, uh, non-binary kids are, we're, you know, we're training our staff on how to ensure that our non-binary kids are, are at home and are welcome, and our trans kids are at home and welcome. Uh, there, This is light years from how it used to be. And listen, there's still many corners of the Jewish world that are not welcoming. And so uh, it's important that we have the place that is welcoming and affirming of our queerness.
0: Ani, Islam, what do you think?
4: Well, I'm, I'm very proud, if I may show off a little bit, but <laughs> to say that Muslims for Progressive Values has been the movement that has charted a course of creating a schism or creating a movement that is inclusive of everyone, especially LGBTs, um, LGBTQ members of our community or Muslims in general, and creating a space that is safe for everyone, including um, straight allies that, um, that also believe in the egalitarian and inclusive values of Islam. And it's, it's incredible how difficult it is actually to create such a space. Um, and, you know, our motto is be yourself, period, be Muslim. And it's actually really difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, as, as someone that's been doing this for more than 12 years, you know, we've encouraged uh, men, women, LGBT folks to take spiritual ownership because it's completely um, a flat hierarchy. And so, again, we don't have a super pope or super bishop, whatever, what have you. And as a woman, um, as someone who's created the movement and ch- taken it on course internationally, I mean, we're in 17 countries now. And um, we've, we've really created a progressive Muslim movement globally. That is promoting an inclusive interpretation of Islam. And so, and we all own it. We all take ownership, leadership ownership, in that we are not kowtowing to any male hierarchy structure. We're like, we're done with you. We're creating an alternative hierarchy. We're creating an alternative space, non hierarchical. This is really important. Because we're not subscribing to the whether it be a patriarchal, a matriarchal society, it has to be as egalitarian as flat of a uh, of a structure as possible.
0: You, you know, I know I, I was raised Catholic, as I think I've mentioned to everybody before, and I know that the one group of people the Jesus guy got the angriest with were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day that were demanding adherence to strict Mm -hmm. mores and codes and completely lost all human compassion. Mm -hmm. And they killed him, they crucified him for it, they crucified him for it. So I'm listening to the three of you and what strikes me is that all three of you are talking about inclusion, and yet it would seem like the, the three major faiths led mostly by men are not necessarily about inclusion, but more about power. And watching the fundamentalist right cuddle up to Donald Trump right now and Mike mm-hmm. Pence yeah. is so, it turns my stomach inside yeah. out to watch it.
4: Yeah. America's a theocracy. <laughs> America is a theocracy. Let's not kid ourselves. And I think it's been done in a very sophisticated way. Um, as a Muslim, I've always been talking about and speaking up against um, the interpretation of Islam and legislating that interpretation into law, which as Muslims, we're sort of – we're. we're you have no choice but to swallow and, 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 and live by it. And, you know, we are completely rebelling against that because Sharia law, which is our version of, you know, interpretation of uh, religion into law, is a man-made construct. It's not God's law. Because if it was, it would be the same throughout the whole Muslim world, wherever you are. But it's not. And so, therefore, that in itself is, is, is a, a clue that it is a, a man-made construct. Now, here, what's happening in the United States is the Christians have, particularly in the Republican Party, have been voting um, their legislators in based on their interpretation of the Bible. And they've been legislating based on their interpretation of the Bible. And this has been going on for at least 10 to 15 years. So, that's... That's the Christian Sharia law. I'm sorry to say, but that's what's been going in the United States, and we've and in many states at the state level, they've been really at the mercy of uh, you know this Bible thumping legislators.
0: Mm, yeah, Rabbi, what were you going to say? I think you were going to jump in well, there too.
2: I, yeah, I was going to jump in and, and really talk about uh, this notion of interpretation. That it's it's so is exactly what Ani was saying, um, and I feel this is, as a Jewish person in the United States. You know, you it's it's not—there is a overarching kind of Christian uh, wave that goes on, and, that, and the mix of religion and politics and the interweaving of, of that into po- Christian theology, into policy, squeezes out. Everybody who isn't who's a non-Christian, and that whether you're a Muslim or you're Jewish or you're no religion at all, and, yeah. and in fact, in the United States today, more people are what we call nuns, n o n e s, mm-hmm. meaning they have no faith, mm-hmm. uh, formalized faith. They may be spiritual. They may, they may have come from a particular religious background, but more people have no connection to organized religion uh, than than do. And so um, it makes it very difficult as we are in this world to, um, if you're not a Christian, to uh, feel a, a continued sense of being at home when there's now governmental policies that are basically following certain aspects of Christianity that are perhaps in conflict with, you know, my particular faith as a Jew. A particular example has, is around the issue of abortion. Uh, in Judaism, historically, abortion was always permitted. There were ca- always cases in Jewish tradition, and are in the Talmud you can find cases where it talks about that you have to do it, and we protect the life of the mother. In Catholic tradition, that's different. Right, They believe that you don't protect the life of the mother, you protect the life of the unborn fetus. Uh, And so when it's now made a matter of law, that what it does is you're forcing your religion on it. Mm -hmm. That's the problem.
0: Coming up next, gang, when we come back from commercial, we're gonna dig more into this uh, whole idea of American theocracy. What a profound (laughs) (laughs) thought, Ani, thank you for that. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Amazing Grace by Celtic Woman. Uh, I want to thank our three guests. We're engaged in a lively discussion, gang, about women and religion and politics. we got Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Col and me, Reverend Denise Barnes from the United Methodist Church, and Ani Zoneveld from Muslims for Progressive Values. Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk about something. Uh, People like to say America is a Christian nation. I've heard it. And uh, I, I'm quick to point out that the founding fathers and mothers were not Christians. They were deists. <laughs> They believed in God. They believed in something higher, something like that. But they had watched the bloody wars of Europe for centuries. They had watched the Crusades of Spain. They had watched the pogroms against Jews. They had watched the Scots and the Irish and the Catholics and the Protestants go at it. They saw all that and they said, we're gonna have a wall of separation between church and state, Thomas Jefferson. We're gonna keep religion in this corner and politics in that corner and for each individual protection, and yet the line seems really
3: fuzzy right now, really fuzzy. Uh, Thoughts, Denise? I think, you know, I'm British, so coming from a country where church and state are not separate, um, it's shocking to me now, because it took a while to get used to it when I first came here, but now it's shocking for me that so much is is governed by the religious right um, and by Christians, um, and and they are the ones who are making the laws and and changing the, the way the country works. and and feeding this exclusionary behavior. And I think it speaks to what um, Rabbi Denise was talking about in terms of the nuns, the people that say they're spiritual but not religious. What they are is not not people who who like the institution of religion, Mm. right? And we're not speaking their language. We're not representing who they are and what they believe. And and they don't have a way of of being able to have a religious life because religious institutions aren't feeding them because of what's happening in the country at large. I just think
4: that um, the majority of Americans have become more of a spiritual entity rather than um, um, subscribing to a particular religious uh, identity is because it doesn't speak to them in the sense, well, you know, they're for social justice, they're for the environment, they're for a lot of issues that the religious institutions like Islam and in the traditional sense anyway and other um, places of worship are not really, uh, they're not addressing those issues. And and if, as, as a Muslim, as a Muslim and a person of faith spiritually, I think it's appalling. I mean, it's our duty. To, I think that's the religious duty is actually to be caring of the environment, caring of our fellow human being. I mean, if that doesn't make you a spiritual human being or a religious inspired person, then I don't know why you even identify yourself in a particular religious tradition, right? Traditional. So I think you know, um, this. Once I think this traditional institution. In, in my opinion what I'm going to say is very blasphemous they're the blasphemers they're the blasphemes right they're the ones that are um, they're the ones that are destroying the real meaning of religion and um, yeah spirituality Rabbi
2: Well, I was, I was just going to jump in. It's, it, Ani describes something so beautiful about being spiritual and being caring for the environment and caring about social justice, you know. And for, for me, that's the core of my faith is this notion, and what we call in Hebrew, tikkun olam, the obligation to repair the world. And even as we are particular in our expression of our faith, but we are universal in our desire to help the world be a better place, to uplift those who are fallen, and to help heal the sick, and to free the captive, and to go out. and. Uplift those who are oppressed. I mean, we're in the Jewish community. We're preparing literally for Passover. That's going to happen in the next month, and 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 we're really gonna we're really focused on this notion of what does it mean to take. Per- People who are oppressed and help to free them, and that's part of the Passover message. I think it's part of the Easter message uh, mm. as well. Um, you know, getting ready for Mardi Gras and and uh, Lent to begin. The same that same notion of how do you take those who are oppressed and provide a sense of renewal, hope, and freedom. And that is part of the religious journey to help ensure that
0: that happens. You know, watching what's happening in our politics right now, we have probably the most blasphemous, irreligious person ever created on the planet, the President of the United States, who has no compassion, uh, no sense of morality, no moral compass, being embraced By the religious right as their savior, Uh, and meanwhile we've chosen one, the chosen one, exactly. (laughs) And meanwhile we've got uh, you know both Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg not talking about their Judaism per se, but the only person having to defend his religion is Pete Buttigieg because he's the openly gay candidate. He's the one having to talk about faith on the campaign trail. So as LGBT people who have uh, you know certain faith and spiritual beliefs, do we enter the fray uh, knowing that it's a muddy battle uh, with the religious right and Donald Trump, or do we try to stay out of the political fray and just focus on the spiritual realm and what's important in our communities?
3: I think we have to be a part of all of it, because, literally because of this thing of of, of how the religious right is pushing legislation and, and lawmaking and all the rest of it. We can't not be a part of it, and we, we have to enter it as, as hard as that is for us to do. Yeah.
4: I think that has been the reason why the religious left left, Left has lost ground, Mm -hmm. and it's not just in American politics. It's also at the United Nations. When you surrender that space to the political religious right, they take over and change the system from within, which they have done in the United States, which are successfully to have done so at the United Nations as well. Mm So we got to wake up. But so what Pete is doing is actually, I think, it's very commendable. Yeah.
0: Mm, me too. And I
4: and I think it, I think one of the gifts of, of
2: of the friendships that Denise and Annie and I have, and with you, John, is to. Conti- and I know you are a person of faith and and go to church regularly. Is that we can't let that space just be. Turned over to the religious right. Mm-hmm. We claim. We must claim our space. We must claim our authenticity, yeah. and not be defined by how they define us. We have to define ourselves. That's so the empowerment do. that we owe ourselves and our and our uh, queer children after us. Yes.
4: And we have to delegitimize their claim of legitimacy. yeah Sorry right. to say. Absolutely.
3: That.
0: Speaking of the children, uh, you all don't know this, but Reverend Denise Barnes brought in her eighteen-year-old nephew from london in studio with us named alec and he's listening in and alec we're going to turn your mic on to hear what it is that you think you're listening to and learning from your aunt and uh, these other women religious leaders we'll see how uh, we'll see if you've been paying attention or if you've been posting on instagram well
4: obviously as you've all said religion is governing the country and obviously come from britain i'm an outsider to all of this and Sort of, in a way, church and state are kept separate. But even so, that shouldn't be a problem here.
0: Even mm-hmm. if they are combined. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right. You've been paying attention. Alex. <laughs> Good. You weren't posting you on pass. Facebook you, 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 an a. <laughs> you, you weren't posting on Facebook. I'm sorry, kid. I'm When we come back, gang, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe how about the proper role of religion in the country because the Quakers, the Mormons, uh, the Catholics, uh, and now the Muslims, everyone's got a part to play in this democracy. And yet, how do we do this in the place where also we have a country passing Muslim bans at the same time? Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Gang, welcome back. We're having a continuing conversation about religion, women, politics with Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Kolomi, Ani Zonnevelt from Muslims for Progressive Values, and the Reverend Denise Barnes from the First United Methodist Church. Uh, Ani, you were like chomping at the bit before the commercial break, so why don't we let you start where we left off? about to blow up.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we were talking about um, the role of uh, folks of faith in, in the realm of politics. And I just want to reiterate this point that... Often I see progressives on the left supporting conservative Muslims, Muslims who are misogynistic, miso- um, homophobic, who pretend to be egalitarian. To They're co-opting the system, the democratic system. And uh, what I've seen often over and over again is the progressive left, whether it be faith or non-faith, just supporting a Muslim candidate, for example, just because it's a Muslim candidate, to be inclusive. Can we be a little bit more particular? If you want to be supportive of a candidate, the most important thing is what are your set of values. I don't care what color or what, you know, sexuality you are, it's about values. And if you're allowing people into the Democratic Party, for example, that is supposed to be inclusive, we have our set of values of inclusivity rather than exclusivity, then why are you um, supporting candidates that are? At home, very exclusive, and in their traditional community, very exclusive. So, you know, I just want to throw some light on that because I, I, um, I'm always up against Muslim candidates, for example, that are actually very conservative, and here, here. <laughs> and um, I actually got into a real major tiff with Ilhan Omar for asking the question about female genital mutilation she chewed me out and for asking the question and called it appalling but I'm sorry two of the girls that got cut were from your constitu- constituency so address the bloody thing mm. you know so literally <laughs> well, sorry I, I, I,
0: I couldn't let that go <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi you want to try well, that I, on couldn't his-
2: agree with that. I couldn't agree with I couldn't agree with Ani more I think Uh, You know, we have to really look at the shared values, and you know, what's so powerful, John, about having the three of us on is that the three of us have so much more in common than our differences. Yes, we, we have different prayers that we utilize in our worship services, and we may follow different calendars and holidays, but I bet, and I know for a fact, that we share common values of humanity and treating one another with respect and kindness and dignity, and those are the progressive values values of inclusivity, of, of promoting uh, LGBTQ people, of women's empowerment, of, uh, of, our, of caring about environmental justice, of economic justice. Uh, these are issues that we share in common. And that is what we have to really begin to focus on. Mm. Reverend?
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Um, we share so much. And we all fight for the same causes, which is women in places where Young girls see them being mm-hmm. leaders um, because representation matters and we're all fighting for that same thing, which is that God made each and every one of us in God's image. Mm-hmm. We are all equal and we all need to be treated that. And our call as leaders, I feel, is to, to fight that corner and to show that to the rest of the world.
0: You want to have something ironic? You What gave me hope in the impeachment hearings was Mitt Romney. Now, here is a guy mm-hmm. that I probably Absolutely. agree with maybe 20% of the time, mm-hmm. maybe, right. but his conviction, Mm -hmm. his convictions based upon his religious upbringing got him to vote for impeachment because he, in his own words, wouldn't be able to bear to look at himself in the mirror Mm -hmm. because he'd taken an oath under, you know, I swear to God that I will do the truth. And what's honest and Irrespective of consequence, yeah.
2: and, I'm like, and John, that wow. that why why did this ring so true for so many of us? Because we see the constant hypocrisy yeah, right. that that is often exhibited, especially around religion and politics. Yeah. We talked about it earlier today about the radical Christian right that has gotten in bed with the Republican Party and uh, has given up their moral authority uh, because of their quest and thirst for unmitigated power. And Just like the Saudis. Actually,
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> when we see someone actually live out their faith and truly live out their values, then we can, we, we're we all given a moment of pause. Yes. And so I think that's why it really rang true, because so many of us do try to live out our faith every single day, um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I know that that... When we see that, and we see that authenticity, that's really when it touches us all.
3: Absolutely.
0: We've got like less than a couple, we got like a minute and a half, 30 seconds each on like concluding thoughts. I'll start with you, Reverend. We'll go New Testament backwards. Okay,
2: Okay, well,
3: I kind of said it last time, but really, we are all created equal, and we should all be um, treated equally and have those same opportunities as everybody else. And I think we need to do more together, I think, to bring the three faiths together and to be able to show that to the rest of the world is very powerful, particularly when it's three women um, that are doing it. So I think we need to do more of this, and we need to be proud of who we are and to declare it. You three are going to do a road show. Public
0: forum, <laughs> I'm behind it.
3: honey.
4: Okay, so America's about justice for all. We're so far from that still, and so let's live up to it. And I think faith or non-faith, atheists, we can all work towards that, and we should be.
0: Mm, awesome. Rabbi? Well, first of all, it's so great
4: to be with everybody, and I just
2: I want to encourage your listeners, John. Live out your values every single day. Do it through the ballot box. Vote for a candidate. Don't sit this one out. America depends. Of, America's future depends upon all of us turning out to vote and throwing those bums out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the way we're going to live. And we can be able to live in a country that truly values all of us, every single one of us no matter our faith, whether we have one or we don't.
0: Awesome. And my young visitor from London, Alec, (laughs) my 18-year-old, what do you have to say in conclusion?
4: Going back to being denied adoption because of religion or sexuality, all I can say is think about what Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Amen. Why should we reject Amen. people? Because of sexuality or gender or anything. <laughs> Thus saith the 18-year-old. Amen
0: to ah, that. Amen to that. I mean. Gang, we're coming to the end of our show. I want to thank the rabbi, the reverend, you. Thank you all for coming and doing, having this great conversation. appreciate it very much. Next week, gang, uh, here on the show, we're going to have Lucia Chappelle from the MCC Churches talking about Black History Month, the last part of Black History Month, and State Senator Scott Weiner about housing policy for the state. California. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend here from Channel Q.